Tisha Bader and in the news, the crisis in Ukraine with the recent invasion on the part of Russia and its assault on the country, which the world is watching with grave concern. Well, to help give us some understanding of what is happening on the ground in Ukraine is Natalia Fedushak, Director of Communications of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, an organization that seeks to strengthen solidarity between Ukrainians and Jews and understanding of Jewish life in Ukraine. Natalia, thank you so much for being here on JBS. I know it's a crazy time. Yes, it is. It's been several sleepless nights. Um, a lot of news coming in, both from, you know, you have the international news, but then you have uh, news coming from within Ukraine. Um, and of course, grave concern about our family, my family, my husband's family that is in Ukraine. My husband um, is originally from Kyiv, and uh, so he has family, his mother and, and, and um, his sister and father are there. So it's all and we have relatives in the West. So it's it's all quite concerning. I can't imagine. And I would love to speak about that deep personal connection you have there. But first, if you could just give us a sense of what is happening on the ground. I know you're watching very closely. And I just want to let people know that you've lived in Ukraine for quite a while. You covered uh, Ukraine for some two decades. You worked mm -hmm. for the Kiev Post. Mm -hmm. You have a, an in-depth understanding of the community there. And I know, as you said, you're keeping a very close watch, which is causing many sleepless nights. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing on television from Ukraine, what you're hearing also from, from those people on the ground? Well, it, you know, on the one hand, what you see internationally is, um, and I've watched several different sources. I mean, first of all, you know, it, it, it's certainly different when you have international media on the ground in Ukraine and speaking about Ukraine and talking to Ukrainians. Because for far, far too long, the news has been, you know, Ukraine has been covered from Moscow or from Washington and that Ukrainian voice has been missing. And now we have it, and unfortunately we have it at a time um, that's critical for everyone. Um, so from, from the Ukrainian side, what I can say is, Yes, I mean, you know, we know that Russian troops are moving in to Kyiv. Um, we know that um, there is fighting. Um, and uh, if I, you know, speaking from the point of view of my sister-in-law and my father-in-law, I mean, several times a day in Kyiv, they hear the, the sirens. Um, they had been on the left bank and they went to the center of Kyiv and thankfully are in a sturdy building that has um, a, a hairdressing salon, which, uh, and that's where they, when the air raids come, that's where they, when the sirens come, that's where they're hiding. And so their conditions are actually pretty good. Um, you cannot now, the subway system is such that it will travel only in the city where the stations are underground. It is now impossible to go to the left bank of cave. The bridges um, are shut down. And so, you know, they're now on the right bank. They're there. Now we know that um, from the Ukrainian news as well, throughout the country, around 800 soldier, Russian soldiers have been killed. The Ukrainians are putting up a fight. Um, 
a lot of young men are, they're taking up arms and they're fighting for their country. And from what I see both within Ukraine and then international news is that, that things are not, not quite going as Putin had planned. Because once again, he doesn't understand the Ukrainian mentality. And when I say Ukrainian, this includes both ethnic Ukrainians and ethnic Russians. And you, know, you have Russian speaking people, whether regardless of their nationality, their ethnic roots that are dying, fighting and dying for Ukraine. Um, and, uh, you know, yes, it's, we're, we're very worried because, you know, Putin will try to install a puppet government, but how he's going to hold the rest of the country is beyond me because Ukraine is not Russia and Ukraine is not a fascist state. I'm sorry. The president is Jewish. I mean, Volodymyr Zelensky, you know, has in my mind really done, uh, uh, good job in reaching out, you know, to the Ukrainian population. He's been young, very dynamic, and um, standing firm on, on Ukraine's European aspirations. You, and so it's, you know, I mean, I could say a lot, but perhaps I'll wait, you know, your next question. Well, I just want to go back to something you said, because it really, it, it may sound like a small detail, but it's really huge that you said your family is lucky because they have somewhere to go in a building. It's a hair salon. It's not that there's a bomb shelter. People mm. there do not have so-called safe rooms or bomb shelters. They're just hoping to find a structure that gives some better protection than their own home, I'm guessing. And this is something yes, that is yes. rare to find. Yes. And people have also, you know, I mean, they've had to, you know, conditions vary. There are some basement buildings that are not um, really not adequate for people to be living in. And yet that's where they have to hide. You know, they've also been hiding in uh, the metro stations. Cave, the city itself has very deep metro stations. Uh, so it's not like in New York City where you just, will run down a flight of stairs and there's, you know, the, the, the A train or, you know, the B train. In, in Kiev, you very often, I mean, it can take you five minutes just to get down to the station level itself. So as shelters, they're good, but no, these are not bomb shelters. I mean, these are places where people can hide and, and protect themselves for a short period of time. And that's about it. What are you hearing from your father-in-law, from your sister-in-law, as far as what is the atmosphere there? Are, are they, I mean, beyond obviously it being tense, I would imagine that they're very frightened. What, what kind of emotions are you hearing well, from them? What you know, kind of? My father-in-law is in his eighties and, you know, he, um, you know, he, he came from a family, uh, a middle-class working family. And once he told me many years ago, you know, Lenin came to power and we've not been able to stand on our feet since then. So, you know, he saw the Nazis, he saw the Soviets, he thrived in, you know, a, an independent Ukrainian state that is a liberal democracy that yes, has had its problems, but the country is 30 years old if we look at modern day Ukraine. And now he's watching 
the Russians, supposedly brothers, you have to understand this is supposedly brothers, our brothers have come in to destroy, to destroy Ukraine, to destroy Ukraine. And this for him is really quite shocking. My sister-in-law um, has, and you have to understand that my sister-in-law is primarily Russian speaking. You know, she knows Ukrainian. I mean, people in Ukraine are bilingual, Ukrainian, Russian, but the words that come out of her mouth now about Putin in Russian, you know, will make your hair stand. I mean, the, the reality is, is that Putin has um, really, he's created a lot of hate where there's, you know, it's nenavist in Ukrainian um, against Russia and himself and people, you know, have tried that, you know, the, Ukrainians have not seen Russians as enemies. And again, when I talk about Ukrainians, I'm talking about citizens of Ukraine. They've not seen Russians in, in you know, a, as a hostile power, but that's changed now. And there's a big shock that Russia and Russians would do this to Ukrainians. And, and this is what they're feeling. Yeah, we saw just the other day uh, a huge demonstration in Russia against the government, mm -hmm. and there were some 1,800 people arrested right. because you're not, the protest is not covered legally. Yeah. Um, and so that must be such a such a <laughs> conflicting feeling for your for your sister-in-law in particular, and well, so difficult. Well, I, the the people I have to say that came out against Putin's war on Ukraine are to be commended because that takes courage because these people then are charged with treason. And the fact that it was in 50 cities in Russia, it gives heart. And President Zelensky made, you know, he, he twice has, has um, appealed to the Russian people. And, you know, he said that he's aware of these protests. They have not gone unnoticed which shows that not everybody, you know, supports Putin. Um, and, uh, you know, and those, those powers in Russia, that public sentiment, that civil society that does exist needs to be supported as well. Uh, and so I can, I can only thank and commend those people for coming out in support of Ukraine at risk to themselves. How do you feel about what you're seeing from the world response to this crisis, um, whether it be condemnations from President Biden, whether it be humanitarian aid packages? What is your feeling about how the world is is coming well, to the aid of Ukraine? Yeah. It's and I and I want to make it very clear that I'm speaking on my own behalf, um, not that of our organization. Um, I you know I, I feel like it's a mixed bag. Because on the one hand, you hear that how important Ukraine is to maintaining the world order, what, how critical it is as a country. And yet, Ukraine is being left to fight this battle on its own. Yes, as a U.S. citizen, you know, I'm grateful that our government has sent weapons to Ukraine. I'm grateful that other countries have done that. 
you have the sanctions that are not immediate. They, it will be so a slow strangulation of the Russian economy. But I can't help but feel that, you know, what we need more, you know, we need more than just we're, you know, we're so sorry, you're in our prayers. I mean, there needs to be something that really brings Putin and this group of people who are behind him. Um, something needs to be done that is really more immediate because, you know, Ukrainians are dying. Ukrainians are terrified. I mean, yeah, imagine, you know, one day you're walking along, you know, the sun is out and you think things are great and, and you're making plans for your life. And the next day, the carpet is taken out from underneath you and your life is, is, is turned upside down. On the border with Poland today, I mean, you have families that are being torn apart because men from 18 to 60 now are not allowed to leave Ukraine. And yet wives and children are crossing the border and they don't know if they'll ever see each other again. The hope is yes, we will, but they may never see each other again. This is 2022. I mean, these are scenes from the second world war. And yes, it happens in other countries of the world, but it's for me, it's very hard for me to wrap my head around that this is happening in Europe. We talk about that Ukraine is a European country, and it is. And in many ways, if you know, you've, it, it has a thriving civil society. Now, I have the real honor of working with great intellectuals and writers in Ukraine and, you know, and artists and musicians. And, you know, it, 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 you you have this sense of, wow, this is a country that's, that, that embodies the European values that people talk about. And now, and now. So it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I hear that. I, I see you. I hear you. And I really, my heart goes out to you and your family. What would you like the world to know that maybe is not being covered in the media right now that is maybe not being shown in the news what would you like people to know about what is happening well you know it's the ukraine it's the ukrainian story and the ukrainian history and uh, you know really the, this uh, the, i mean the idea that putin thinks that ukraine is run by nazis is just so absurd um and so we, you know, there are other voices, Ukrainian voices that, that have been speaking abroad and they've been, you know, talking to an English language audience and trying to speak to a, a Russian language audience as well. So people there know, you know, this is not okay. Um, I just think that people have to take a very deep breath and think, what are my values? What do I want in this world and in this life? Because, you know, what I we'll call the latte culture, um, you know, it can, it will not be business as usual. If Ukraine falls and if it puts in, and I'm hoping that it won't, and pe Ukrainians are very resilient and they will fight, but the world is gonna, it's gonna be different now, no matter what happens in Ukraine. And so people I think have to really ask themselves, what are my values, what do I stand for? 
Are you in touch specifically with, with the Jewish community or do you hear anything from local Jewish communities there and in what they're experiencing? Well, yes, we, we have, um, we have, you know, on our website, uh, in the next few days, I mean, we're going to be having uh, my colleague Shimon Bremen, who lives in Israel um, and is is from Kharkiv. Uh, he, you know, we're going to be putting up more um, content from what's happening in Ukraine now, what people are feeling, what the Jewish community is feeling, you know, along with the Ukrainian community, because again, you know, our Ukrainians and Jews have lived on the territory of modern day Ukraine for over a millennium. And, and these are two people who are very tightly intertwined. Um, so, you know, but I think that they feel, they feel very much what the rest of the country is feeling because, you know, the Jews who live in Ukraine today, and they are part of this political nation and have been very supportive of building this liberal democracy. Um, and so, you know, in this sense, they're feeling what, what everybody else is feeling and, and the terror and the hope um, that, that the rest of, of, of the people of Ukraine are feeling. Well, Natalia, I know this is such a stressful and difficult time. Please know that our thoughts are with you and with your family and with the people of Ukraine and hoping that this gets resolved as soon as possible with as peaceful a resolution as possible. And we look for you also, if you have any updates, please feel free to let us know. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're, you're watching the news constantly. You're on the phone with your family constantly. So thank you for taking time out and sharing your story and what's happening with our JBS audience. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for the time. Um, and, and the platform, so. Our pleasure. Natalia Fedushak is Director of Communications of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. We thank her for taking the time to join us here on JBS. And to give us some perspective on Ukraine from Israel, we are fortunate to have joining us Ambassador Dani Ayalon. Dani served as Israel's ambassador to the United States from 2002 to 2006. He is a former member of Israel's Knesset. He served as Israel's deputy foreign minister and played a leading role in peace negotiations regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the early 2000s. And we are thrilled to have him here on JBS to lend his expertise as we take a look at the Ukraine crisis in regards to the state of Israel. Dani, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on JBS. Thank you, Tisha. So, Donnie, with your, thank you. With your years of experience in foreign policy in Israel and, of course, working for the foreign ministry and working as a diplomat, how are you seeing Israel's response right now to the crisis in Ukraine? What are your thoughts about the response? Sure. Well, Israel is in a bind. So uh, our response has been very calculated, very measured for... Um, simply because of our national interests. You know, today, unfortunately, uh, we border with uh, Russia. You know, Russia is pretty much uh, the um, owner of uh, Syria. Uh, we need this close cooperation with Russia because our Air Force has to have this freedom of operation against Iran, against the Shiite militias who are trying to entrench in uh, Syria and make it another uh, base uh, to launch uh, missiles and, and terror against Israel. So relations, strategic relations with Russia today are very good and very important. On the other uh, hand, Israel has always prided itself 
to, to be part and parcel of the Western community in terms of the Western values, Judeo-Christian values. So this is where we are very much uh, appalled by this um, brutal invasion um, to Ukraine by, uh, by Russia. So on the one hand, we have condemned it. And on the other hand, we are not doing it. We, we don't want to jump to the, let's say, the head of the line. Um, first of all, because of interest, as I told you. And secondly, it's insignificant. Israel is really a, a small country. And we have um, not seen much bigger democracies than Israel, you know, condemn in a forthright uh, uh, way. So, and also, and this is what we tell our American friends, it will not uh, mean or it will not change much. Of course, there is a, uh, um, you know, a symbolic, there is a weight here, a moral weight. And of course, we will always be with the United States against the aggression of Russia. So it is a very interesting and tricky situation, as you said. Um, there was a comment from Ukraine's ambassador to Israel, Yevgen Kornichuk, and he suggested that Israel should do something diplomatically. He said, uh, we are sensitive to the security situation with Russia, to Israel's north and Syria. So we're asking mainly for a diplomatic effort, referring to what you were just speaking about. And the Israeli media has made note of the fact that Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, while saying we stand with Ukraine, has not specifically condemned Russia by name or condemned Putin by name, although Foreign Minister Yair Lapid has done so. So what do, we, what do you make of that? Is that sort of a, a common thing where you're hearing, you know, you're hearing condemnation, but in slightly different tones? Exactly. So I think this is what I, when I meant uh, measured and calculated. Yes. So we let the foreign ministry do their job and the prime minister uh, is being much more cautious. And, and so far it has worked. Whether we will be able to continue, you know, evading the drops, as we say here, I am not sure because things may come to a head. Uh, in the United Nations, and if there is a, um, a resolution in the assembly, in the General Assembly of the UN, Israel will have to choose, Israel will have to vote. You know, in uh, 2014, when Russia invaded Crimea, uh, we, we, we had the same uh, dilemma as we do here, you know, which is actually, it's a uh, very ancient dilemma in uh, in, in politics and diplomacy, the conflict between, uh, the built-in almost conflict between morality and interests. Now in 2014, Israel just did not vote at the General Assembly. Why? We had a very good excuse then because the, the foreign ministry was on strike. So, so no Convenient. one was there. And this is how we kind of uh, kept it, uh, let's say we kept um, a, a good face uh, in front of everyone and certainly the two sides of the, uh, of, of the divide. This will not, uh, we will not be able to do it now. Uh, the situation in Ukraine is much more serious than what was in Crimea in 2014. And here Israel will have to, uh, to take um, a side. And I, uh, I would bet that if it comes to a vote in the United Nations, Israel, of course, will be with the U.S. 
condemning Russia. And let's talk about the foreign ministry more because talk about tricky situations. They are now working around the clock to get Israelis out of Ukraine. I don't know what that looks like from a logistics point of view, but it seems incredibly challenging and difficult. And I know you know more about this. Um, giving out information to people, where to go, which border crossing to go to, what to do when they get there. It seems really very sensitive and, and very, very complicated. Can you give us an idea of what that picture looks like? Sure. Well, I uh, spoke today with the director general of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who uh, used to be a great colleague of mine in, uh, in Washington. And I told him that this is the finest hour uh, of the foreign ministry, um, logistically, and from a consular point of view, um, the deployment of the ministry in Ukraine, but also in the countries around Ukraine, is really massive. It's very effective. And uh, today, uh, there are more than 50 Israeli diplomats uh, spread out in the Ukraine, um, trying to help any Israeli, anyone who can, uh, who needs help to get out of uh, Ukraine. And not only that, they are also positioned in the different uh, uh, border crossings. Ukraine, Poland, uh, Ukraine, uh, Moldova, Ukraine, um, you know, uh, Romania or other uh, countries. So once Israelis get into this border crossing, the diplomats, Israeli diplomats are waiting for them putting them as a group and um, working with the uh, local uh, officials of both countries, the Ukraine and the receiving country, to allow them a very speedy and smooth uh, access uh, uh, entry to this, uh, to this country. And this has been working very well. It's really quite remarkable. And um, I just also want to mention something that has been stressed by Israeli leaders from the beginning. And that is that Israel's door is open. Israel's door is open to Jews anywhere in the world. And certainly in times of crisis, we really see that foundational mandate that Israel holds so dear really come to the forefront and, and come to a practical, you know, we're seeing it very practically on the ground. And Tisha, this is so important. Really, this is the raison d'etre of the state of Israel, uh, not just uh, to be back in our homeland, but also to be able to give shelter to every and any Jew in the world who is in need. Um, you know, um, in the Ukraine today, there are no foreign diplomats. All countries pulled their diplomats away except Israel. Israel wow. is the only one there specifically to help Israelis and Jews who are in need. For instance, you know that um, there are um, Israelis who are married to Ukrainians uh, who are not Jewish. Uh, we now make sure that they will be able to come without any um, bureaucracy that in regular times uh, there are. Uh, PCR, you know, Corona tests. Yes. The uh, Ministry of uh, of uh, to, uh, of um, uh, Health uh -huh. right, wavered this uh, PCR checks in the Ukraine, so it will be done in Israel. The the, the uh, objective is first of all to get them out of the Ukraine. Everything else will be done later, and this is a thing. I think the again the strength 
of Israel and the Jewish people is that uh, in time of need, in time of crisis, uh, we are all one. Absolutely. Donnie, thank you so much. And your, your perspective is, is truly valued and we'll hope for a peaceful resolution to this crisis. And we applaud Israel's foreign ministry, as you said, working day and night to get Israelis out of Ukraine to safety and to help the Jewish community there in particular. Dani Ayalon, former ambassador from Israel to the United States, thank you so much for joining us here on JBS. My pleasure, Tisha. And thank you, as always, to our director, Sloan Copeland, managing director, Dara Golub, our transmissions manager, John McDevitt, technical manager, Michael Paley, and our producer, Carol Lilienthal. And thank you for watching In the News.